feels crazy to say, but Merry Christmas. It's the first time, I, I didn't say it in the first service, that's the first time I've said that this year. And uh, it's sneaking up on us quickly. I'm Joel, one of the pastors here, good to be with you today. Uh, we're jumping into a new series called Behold. Hopefully you figured that out with the words of Pastor Nathan. You see the giant sign right behind me. We're going to tackle this head on for the next several weeks, jumping into the first chapter of John. First, I've got a question for you. How many of you in the last 10 years have applied for a new job? Raise your hand. I'm one of them. Okay. So the rest of you either don't work or you've been in the same place for a long time. All right? Um, here's, here's why I asked about the last 10 years. is because it's a different world today. In the last 10 years, here's one of the ways that it's changed. is Now, if you apply for a new job, um, right away people start looking at something else rather than just your resume. What do they look at? Facebook, social media, right? They look at Snapchat or ChatSnap and Twitter and Twat and whatever, like all these different things that come up. And they just start exploring online. They're wanting to know all about you. And they're wanting to see, uh, like, are you a cat guy or a dog guy, right? They can learn that. But you can look at someone's just their family portrait, and you can learn a good bit about them. Um, well, I know that even when I came here, um, the search team, I sent in a family picture, not just to me, and they looked at the family. They said, well, the rest of them look okay. Let's talk to that guy. And they, so then all of a sudden, they're looking, they learn something about me by looking at our family photo. And you can learn about whether they're dog, cat. That you can learn about maybe what someone does for a living. You can learn if they pull from Michigan or from Michigan State or Ohio State or even Georgia. You can learn those types of things as well. All types of things. You start to learn about someone by looking at social media and by seeing the things that they post online. The other people that they're friends with online. And we start to make these judgments. But here's the danger of that. The danger of that is you don't really get to know someone. You don't, you don't necessarily learn what makes them laugh the hardest. You don't necessarily learn what makes them cry more than anything else. You don't learn about their family in terms of the dynamics. And you don't necessarily learn about their childhood and things that they would rather forget. That's the danger of it. And so here, here's the reason we're looking at John chapter 1. Because I think we've done that, by the way. I'm going to tell you. I think we've done that to Christmas. I think we've done that to Jesus Christ when it comes to how we paint his coming to the world. Now, it's not that these things are, are false. They're real. But what we do is we show this picture of, of Jesus coming. And we see the, the nice baby with perfectly white linen. And that's how we wipe uh, that's how we show that. And, and you see um, the nativity, which we always, it's always wood. And I'm going, it wasn't really wood probably. It's, anyway, it's rock. I mean, go over there. There's not many trees. Um, and so we, we start to paint this picture, right? And the thing is, sometimes it limits. Again, those things aren't necessarily bad. But it can limit the view that we have of Jesus Christ. It's like if you, if you want to draw a conclusion of who I am by simply looking at a photo. You, you might learn something. I'm not saying that you won't learn anything, but to say that now you understand who I am and what makes me tick and what makes me work is not true. You're not going to learn that much. And so that's why we're looking during this series, behold, at different characteristics that we learn about Jesus, all from John chapter 1. 
Now, don't worry, Christmas Eve, we're going to jump into Luke chapter 2. That's your traditional birth story. Also going back to Matthew chapter 1 and looking at that a bit. So we're going to be able to do that on Christmas Eve. But really, we're going to build up to that by looking at who John paints Jesus to be. And it's going to be a really cool opportunity for us because so many of us, um, we need to see more of who Jesus really is. We need to see more of who Jesus is really is. And I believe that this series could be um, life-altering. I don't think that's too bold. If you can see and understand a greater picture of who Jesus is. And so we're going to be able to dive into that. Um, the Gospel of John is a portrait of Jesus. Um, now I want to give you a little bit more information just as a background as we're going to walk through this series. So today I'm going to be able to do that. Um, you have different components that come into play. You have the, how many Gospels do you have? Four. Matthew. The first three are called what? The synoptics. I've talked about this before. You need to know this. The first three of the four are called synoptics, which means that they're viewed together. That's important to understand because they share a lot of the same stories. That's why it's called the synoptics, viewed together. They share a lot of the same stories, and really what it does is that I think it builds this, these beautiful layers of painting um, and, and telling the story of Jesus Christ and, and what he did. Now, that's also one way I would distinguish between the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, verse John. Um, here's the reason I think that you have something that's pretty unique. I, I think that the synoptic gospels do an amazing job talking about all that Jesus did. And they also paint a picture about who he was as a person. But I think if they're going to lean, I would argue, more heavily on painting a picture and telling the stories about what he did, I believe John leans more heavily toward painting the picture of who he was. Now, he also speaks about what he did, but that's, that's another way to think about it. Here's John, and, and pretty much every scholar will agree, agree, this is John, son of Zebedee. We know that this is um, John, son of Zebedee, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. We see that. But I'm going to give you some passages of scripture that even talk about him being the disciple whom Jesus loved. I want to encourage you, as I always do, if you're new here, I always encourage people to write down all the passages of scripture that I'm going to share with you. Because I know that for many of you, walking through a daily devotional simply is not going to happen. Um, whether you get bored with it or anything else. But if you can at least start, if you want to get to know the word better, if you can at least start by once during this next week walking through the passages that I shared today, you're going to have a better understanding of who Christ is. All right? So here's a few of those passages. Um, and this is talking about Jesus, uh, or rather John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, John chapter 13, verse 23, you find it. John 13, 23. You find it in John 19, 26. John 20, 20. You find it in John 20 again, verse 7. So John 20, verse 7, and also John 20, 21. Um, those are some uh, examples of where you find um, this disciple whom Jesus loved so much. Um, the, the primary verse in this passage, though, if you really want to know what John is all about, I want to share with you John 20, verses 30 and 31. And it's probably the greatest uh, passage in this gospel that helps us to understand the overall purpose of the book. All right, so John 20, 30 through 31, you'll see it here. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, 
which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so, here comes John. Wanting so badly to spur on the believer, but also to help the the unbeliever understand who Christ is. And it is for both. It's for the non-Christian and also for the Christian. He's, He's writing to awaken the faith in unbelievers. And he's writing to help to sustain the faith in the believer. John chapter 1. Only in John chapter 1. We, we have, Jesus goes by seven different titles just in John chapter 1. I'm going to call them out to you, okay? John chapter 1. Maybe a, a fun assignment for you later this week. Uh, maybe you give it to your kids. Is go underline in John chapter 1 each of the titles that Jesus has given, okay? Here are the titles mentioned about who he is, and it's fun for us to better look at this. He's given the title Lamb of God. That's going to be one. We're going to look at today the Word of God. We're going to look at the Creator. We're going to look at the, the glory of God, and we're going to look at the Lamb of God throughout this series. But we see Lamb of God. We see Son of God. We see Messiah. We see Jesus of Nazareth. We see Rabbi. We see King of Israel, and we see Son of Man. He's given all of those in John chapter 1, and so we're going to better walk through all this, and we get to do it in the context of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the biblical canon. And you're going to see from Old Testament and New Testament how significant these things are. And if we can start to understand Jesus in a greater way, how that will change our life. So here it is, the Bible. And here's the Bible. The Bible is God revealing God so that we can have a greater knowledge of God. I was going to throw God in there one more time, but I thought three times was enough. The Bible, is God, the, the Bible is God revealing God so that we can have a greater knowledge of God. And you're going to see that also with the story of Jesus being the Word. John is also unique in his writing because um, he spends basically right at half of the book talking about the final days of the life of Jesus. In John chapter 1, you see the introduction of who Jesus is. But in John chapter 2, verse, uh, John chapter 2 through John chapter 10, uh, you see a lot of the different wonders and the signs and the miracles that Jesus Christ was doing and performing. But then you come to John chapter 11 and John chapter 12. John chapter 11 and John chapter 12 is where Jesus is raising Lazarus. Many outside the resurrection of himself, many would consider the raising of Lazarus to be the greatest miracle of Christ. I believe it was one of those times where the, the leaders of the day, the Jewish leaders in John chapter 11 and 12, finally said enough is enough, kill the guy. And they didn't say it like that, but that's kind of what happened inwardly to them. And they just said, okay, okay come on, he's, he's now done. We can't allow this anymore. And this was all happening just before he goes into Jerusalem for the very last time, for the last week of his life. So that's John 11 and 12. John 13, all the way to John 20, there's only 21 chapters, John 13 and 20 is speaking of those last days of his life and his death and also his resurrection. John chapter 21 is where he appears to the disciples and also this epilogue that he has. So that's the book of John. And that's the movement, and that's the flow, and what's been taking place. 
And it begins with John 1, verse 1, in which he says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, We already know some of the meaning of this, but it can also be confusing. In Greek, the word logos is also, here's a word calling out to us, right? Um, the word logos, L-O-G-O-S, is, the word, is, is also meaning word in Greek. And it's speaking of the depth of who Jesus is. Now, let me give you a little bit of background here about John also, a little bit more. Um, John is Jewish. He's a Jew. And he is, he's learned You're going to see how knowledgeable he is here in just a second. Already, in the very first verse, we start to understand some of his knowledge and his background. Why? Because being a Jew, that means he would have thought in both Aramaic but also Hebrew. They would, sometimes they would often, it was normal to speak one language and write another. Which meant there were different layers and complexities into understanding their writings. And so here's scripture, we see scripture, it's translated into Aramaic as a paraphrase, right? Um, you think about different translations we have that are paraphrases to help them understand something. Um, well, that would have been happening as well. And Jewish scholars use the, the term, the word logos or logos or word itself to, to share an expression of who God is. It was an expression of God, so already... Because of the, the very first verse, you see how John is rooted in his Jewish background and his understanding of who Christ is. And he's calling it out, and he says, in the beginning was the Word. Revealing this heritage, and he's right, right away, he throws us back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis, first book of the Bible, right? Old Testament, talks about God's creation. And also talks about the fall of man. And all these, and the calling of Abram, and, and all different things, absolutely wonderful, wonderful thing. But here, John is already going back to this. And it, it once again is showing some of this heritage, but he, he's drawing all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 to show who Jesus is. And he's going to paint a beautiful picture of it. And he's going to let us see how. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. In fact, we see that in John chapter 1, verse 14. In John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word is referring to Jesus Christ. Think, I want you to think of it like this. Um, a person's words are distinct from the person while still being an embodiment of the person's thinking in their mind and heart. Now we have this saying, and it will always be a mystery to us. The scriptures are very clear to always be a mystery, but it's called the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so it can make it complicated to understand the relationship between Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But it's a good, this is a good way to think about it. Is that someone's words, Jesus being word, is separate from a person, yet being also an embodiment of their heart and their mind and their thinking and their feelings. 
And that's who Christ is. It's understanding more of who God is. The Aramaic translation of word is memra, M-E-M-R-A. So I told you about, they, they would have brought this Aramaic, but also a Hebrew and also Greek understanding. All of this would have been rushing in at one time. And so this, they would teach the different distinctives. The Memra was different distinctives, uh, primarily six, that the Jewish leaders and scholars would teach people. Now remember, this is well before the time of Jesus. This is, I love this stuff, because this is the greatness of God. Over the course of hundreds and even thousands of years, everything perfectly blends together. Everything does. And so here they are. The rabbis would have been teaching six primary things, six primary distinctives about the word. Memra. And one of those distinctives is this, is that the word memra, or, or the memra was distinct from God but the same as God. Now remember, this is before the time of Jesus. This is what they're teaching. And now all of a sudden, here comes John, who has the Jewish background, right? And he's talking about the Memra. He's talking about the word, which is distinct from God, but the same as God. And he's calling this out. This is why, guys, if we start to wrap our mind more around really the significance of who Jesus Christ is, he is it will change everything. He is so much more than a baby in a manger. That's part of it, but he's so much greater than that. Jesus, the living word, is an expression. Jesus is an expression of God's being. And so when you're, when you're thinking of the attributes of Jesus and, and what he did, you're actually seeing the attributes of the Father. Jesus is different from God, yet the same as God. And it's woven, guys, throughout the Old Testament. I told you, biblical canon, that's the Old Testament and New Testament. It's woven throughout. I'm going to call out some passages of Scripture for you that I'd like to read. You're not going to see them on the screen, but here are some that great passages for you to read throughout the week that will point to the significance of this, okay? Um, first, I've already mentioned to you John 1, 1 through uh, 2. I want to read that again. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. And yet here's Genesis 1.1, jumping all the way back that I referred to earlier. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's significant for us. Another passage would be Genesis 15, verse 1. Genesis 15.1 says the following. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord. It doesn't say after these things, the Lord. It says, after the, these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And so now, all of a sudden, the word is revealing God to others. Isn't that what Jesus came to do, to reveal God to all people? How about Psalm 33, 4 through 6? Psalm 33, 4 through 6, it says, For the word of the Lord, again, not the, the, the Lord, it says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host.
word of the Lord the heavens were made. Now all of a sudden we're seeing the word is an agent of creation. God spoke the word and what he spoke came into existence. Psalm 147 verse 15. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Why? Because the word runs to carry out his purpose. The word runs swiftly to carry out the purpose of God and all that he has in store. One more for you. Isaiah 55, 10-11. And you're going, does this really matter? Yes, this matters. We're selling ourselves short, friends, if we're just seeing this baby. And if we don't understand the significance that over the course of, the, of thousands of years, the same message is being carried on and being taught and being shown through so many ways. And it ends up manifesting itself through the person of Jesus Christ and him in human flesh. Isaiah 55, 10-11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. The word does God's will. It accomplishes, he accomplishes God's desire. Do you see the beauty and the layers and the complexities of what God built on time and time again? The word who became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, was and is God. He is so much more than only a baby. And that's what we must understand We are not only telling a story of a baby being born, we're getting to know God. We're not just looking at a picture of him that says, oh, nice nativity. But we want to get to know God and his his depth. We want to sit. He wants us. That's why he sent his son Christ, so that we would sit with him and get to know him intimately and know how much he really cares and how much he really loves. That's why he says, listen, I've got more, more things in store for you. I've got greater purpose for you than you can ever know. And you can choose to live in your own will and your own way, but my ways, I'm telling you, they're greater. I've got an even greater purpose for you. And if we stop it, hey, nice baby, nice nativity, we're cheating ourselves from understanding the beauty of who God is. Why? Because Jesus is his physical embodiment. He's different from God, Memrah, yet the same as God. He was in the beginning. And he's both a part of God, but also separate from God. Here's why this message is important. I um, <clears throat> wasn't able to be with you guys last week, and so glad that you got to hear from Pastor Luke, uh, bring the word. And um, I was on my way back from Louisville, Kentucky, spending some time with my in-laws. And I came back early. I almost tried to come to this service, but I would have been late um, because I heard that the snowstorm was supposed to hit at like 2 or 3 and then they said four, then eight, then ten, and then one, and then we got a dusting. But it's all good. I'm not bitter. Um, but I came back. I, was, I left the family. I was like, I gotta get back. On my way to Louisville, though, this is what I found out. Um, my father-in-law, who I love dearly, amazing man of God, loves the Lord, uh, he called my wife, his daughter, of course, and says, hey, um, I know that Joel gets bored, so I came up with a to-do list for him while he's here. Isn't that kind of him? 
amazing man of God who I never want to see again. Um, and <laughs> so we had a list. That he's like, hey, I had to I fixed a step for him that I don't even think he knew about in the back that was buckling up. And he wanted me to move a mirror in the bathroom and change that out for him. And then another thing. He's like, listen, the leaves, they just keep coming down. Can you clean those up? And he's on a full acre. And I asked him, I was like, don't you have a blower? Like a blower. And he handed me a hair dryer. Um, like it wasn't much bigger. You plug it in, it just doesn't do anything. And I laughed. And I said, oh, that's sweet. Um, so he went to the store and bought lots more rakes because I got my nephews. I got all my children. And so then I had a herd of kids out there raking up leaves. That was another thing that we were able to do. And it was just it was a wonderful way to celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, I didn't say that sincerely, did I? It, it was a, a good attempt. Um, it, was a, it was a good time. But I looked at my father-in-law in the course of the week. I said, listen, I'm doing a couple things for you. You're retired, and I could use some help up in Michigan. Um, well, he came. So last Sunday he came. And my father-in-law is someone who is amazing at starting projects. You reading between the lines here. And I told him, I said, man, we need hallway painted, some other things. And so that's, um, what I'd get home every, every night this past week around 10, 10, 30. And uh, one night, 9, 30, and of course right away I just start painting because what, he doesn't do the trim. He said, I just roll. Um, I was like, great, um, thanks for starting that. So I would get home late, and I would just start trimming and trimming and trimming. Well, what happens is this, and by, by the time I recognize this, he's already gone back to Louisville. Um, all the walls, especially the, our entryway right beside it, as soon as you paint the other walls, that looks just absolutely what? Horrendous. Because not only do I have the kids, but my kids have friends, and they don't, Anybody under the age of 15 does not know how to wash hands. And so all of a sudden, I'm having to paint the entryway, and it's bad. And I'm the guy, I don't want to, I want to get as little, as dirty as possible before I do anything. I don't know about you. I want to use the same glass all day, because then otherwise I have to wash more than one glass, right? You can call me disgusting. I don't care. I know Jesus. Um, so I'm thinking, I could paint this entryway with just the brush, and then I don't have to worry about getting the roller dirty. So it's about a five-foot area on one wall. The other wall is about seven feet around, and I'm going, okay. I started, and I just said, okay, this is silly. So I went and I got the roller, and I started painting. And 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, I'm finished. The wall looks beautiful. You would think that a professional did it um, if you were partially blind. And, but it's done. And the reason I tell you this entire story is this. Um, I, I, this is what I believe that we've done to Jesus. I think that we have painted a picture of Jesus that, that is entirely too small. I think one of the reasons that this world doesn't know, our country specifically doesn't know more about what it is to live for the Lord, honestly. The, the people that we're getting to support that you, met, that you heard about before. In the last two weeks, you guys have given, we've, we've written checks for $20,000 in the last two weeks to help people who are doing the gospel work around the world. You guys are doing that. 
But the reason we don't understand that more is because we're painting a picture of Jesus with way too small of a brush. It's the difference, and you'll see it here. I'll even hold one up for you. It's the difference in using the little watercolor brush that you get from your kids or using this. And maybe not even this. Maybe it's the giant roller or even not even the giant roller. It's, it's the sprayer. And we are painting way too small a picture of Jesus. We're cheating our children. We're cheating our communities. We're cheating our neighbors to say, hey, here's a picture of nativity. Isn't that cute? We're cheating them to stop there and not to let them see in his word that Jesus is God in flesh. That's powerful. And so to think about the way you handle Jesus in your own life is the way that you're choosing to handle God. And so to then say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to throw the little baby out. And if we have time, I'm even going to read the Christmas story. And if I remember, we'll do it before we open all the gifts for us. And we keep painting this small little picture of Jesus. And he's saying, enough. we got to start painting a bigger picture. Behold, he is the word of God. Behold, he is the image of God. Behold, he is the likeness of God. Behold, he is Messiah. That's who Christ is. And if we started painting a bigger picture of Christ with our own lives, if we had a greater understanding, a greater comprehension of who he is, then all of a sudden, our families, guys, it looks different. Our community looks different. But honestly, I'm not too shocked in a world, a community that doesn't want to hear the message of Christ when we're painting with watercolor brushes. He is worthy of more. Behold Our God. Jesus is God in flesh, and he is absolutely crazy about you. Like, what if that's what we live? And you carry that over into the way you parent and the way you're a spouse and the way you're a friend and the way you interact with colleagues and the way you build people up and you encourage them because you, every single time you're doing it, you're going, you know what? There's something greater. There's something greater. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let that transform your heart. He is so much more than the baby. He is God in flesh. So, Lord, I come before you. And I ask that you would bless these friends of mine, these brothers and sisters, whether I've ever met them or not. Some may be first-time people here. I don't know, God. You do. But it doesn't matter their past. It doesn't matter all the things that they've done. I know this. You love them so much that you gave yourself in human flesh through the word, through Jesus Christ, to come and to be present with us and to give his life for us. 
may we paint a bigger picture of you in the way that we live our life. May we use a bigger brush because you're worthy of nothing less. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus, Son of God, Jesus, the Word, who is with God and is God forever and ever. Let's stand and worship that God. Give Jesus more room in your life than the mantle above your fireplace. Paint with a bigger brush. He is the Word. He's Messiah. And He adores you. Soak that one up. And paint with a bigger brush. May you know His strength. May the Word of God drip into your heart and your soul. May your life be transformed in a way between now and tomorrow morning that, that you've never experienced before because you recognize the depth of his love for you and the power that he showed in the giving of his own son. There is a Savior, and his name is Jesus. May you know him fully. In Christ's name, amen. Have a beautiful week. Take care, guys.